Please turn with me to Acts, to the end of chapter 7. We're going to be looking again at this last little bit of the life of Stephen, and then the first little bit of chapter 8. As this section deals with the persecution of the church and when this begins, I think it's important for us to look at this um, separately, just to, as the church is more and more across the world being persecuted, and then also just more and more having to to know what we believe and having to defend ourselves in that regard. And so, I think this is an important text for us. Before we go to the Word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ask for His help with it. Our Lord, as we come to uh, this text today, Lord, we pray that you would open it up for us that we would see it in a different way than we've seen it before, that we would be able to glean wisdom from it. Father, also that we would be able to see our sinfulness in it and then run to you. We, we are desperate for your help when it comes to our sin. Without your intervention, we would still be dead in it. But you have made us alive in Christ Jesus And so, Lord, we pray that you would now more and more make our hearts pure and holy and use your word to do it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I began looking at this passage, I think there's lots of ways to to break this stuff down. And so I really wanted to, again, focus here on what's going on with the early church made me think of a recent story I read in the news concerning the arrest of two men who were in a Starbucks in Philadelphia. It was two, two black men, and they were in Philadelphia. They walked into a Starbucks. They were going to meet a friend there, and uh, one of them asked the barista behind the counter if he could use the restroom. She said it's for paying customers only. Fine. That's normal for big cities. She then walks out to to where they're sitting and offers to sell them something to drink. They say, well, we have our own, that they were just waiting for a friend. She then called the police, and they came, or they came and arrested the men for trespassing and for causing a disturbance. Um, they were later released because they didn't do either of those things, but the damage was done. Again, in normal practice... All of us have been to coffee shops, I'm sure. Normal practice is going into a coffee shop that you're going to meet someone at. You're not sitting there necessarily now to purchase something. You may get up and purchase something once your friend gets there, but it's normal for that to occur. But this normal practice is now, in this particular instance anyway, become a criminal act for these two men, and it was because of the color of their skin. Apparently, it was against the rules of this establishment to sit and not purchase, but we all know here what the underlying problem was. Last week, we looked at a very similar story in the book of Acts in chapter 7, where a man was arrested in a public place for doing something that wasn't wrong, but happened to be against the rules that were made by this group that hated Christians. Stephen, whom we talked about, was doing signs and wonders among the people, preaching the name of Jesus Christ, and he was arrested. And then he was accused of blaspheming Moses, 
and the Jewish traditions. He was tried in a kangaroo court and was executed by stoning. For what? Preaching the only hope that was available to the people. For doing wondrous things. For pointing to someone beyond himself. Have you ever wondered how you would react in a similar situation? If you're sitting minding your own business in a place of business and officers just come up and arrest you. Or if you're simply talking about Jesus and that you were put in prison for years with very little hope of release for that. These are just a few things that that set our hearts off and our minds off to this idea of injustice. When we were toddlers sharing our toys, we had a very acute sense of injustice, did we not? As we grew up, we began saying things like, that's not fair, even though we had no idea what fairness was. Even when they were fair, we still would say it's not fair. And as adults, we read stories like these two men at Starbucks and maybe like Andrew Brunson, who we've been praying for for weeks now. We feel this injustice. It's a very visceral feeling. So how should we react as the church? How should we react when it happens to us? Because maybe in our lifetimes, we're going to have to experience that. I think more and more, we will have to. The percentage is going way up, that you will. These are tough questions, I think, at many times, but I think the text today gives us some insight into this. So we'll look at this idea and some others. We look at two main points. The motivation, first, for injustice. And then, secondly, our reaction to injustice. And so at this time, let's stand together and read the text from Acts chapter 7, starting at verse 54, and we'll be reading through chapter 8, verse 3. Stand together in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Starting at Acts 7, verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witness laid, and, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And, they were, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of, this execu- of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Amen. This is God's word. Be seated. So we start at verse 54 for a little bit of review. It says, now when they heard these things, they were enraged. So what set them off? Remember back in chapter 6, we read, we read the charges against Stephen, blasphemous words against Moses and God. 
words against this holy place and the law, preaching that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses delivered to us. These were these charges that were brought against Stephen. And so then last week we looked at Stephen's speech, his sermon, to these charges. And he addresses those very things. You can go through his speech and you can outline each of those charges. He addresses them. Moses, the holy temple, the law, the customs that Moses delivered to them. Except Stephen's sermon didn't praise Israel for keeping those traditions, but praised Jesus for fulfilling them. How did he do that? He quoted the Old Testament. The very words his prosecutors would have claimed to be defending themselves. Why did this bother him? Because it was true. In the original language, verse, in verse 54 in chapter 7, this, uh, in, they were enraged is literally the words. They were cut to the heart. We see this same kind of language in chapter 2 with Peter preaching the gospel at Pentecost. The folks there, as they were cut to the heart, repented and believed. However, what do these men do here? They entrenched themselves further in their unbelief. Their hearts became hardened. They acted out in violence even. In Romans chapter 1, turn with me quickly there. We're using this passage a few times today, so I want to go ahead and read it. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Familiar passage to us here, but we're going to, to be looking at this again. So Romans 1, chapter 1. Romans 1, 18 and 19. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So what do they do? This is exactly what's going on in this passage, right? The man who wrote these words, the Apostle Paul, was one of those who was at the trial against Stephen, who was suppressing the truth. We all, at one time, suppressed the truth. As Todd read from Ephesians 2 this morning, until the Lord broke our hearts, He made us alive. He gave us faith to believe. Others, for whatever reason, the Lord's reasoning, were hardened more and more in their unbelief. And so that brings us to this first point, the motivation then for that injustice. Again, verses 54 through 57, they heard these things, they were enraged, they ground their teeth, but full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened. The Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. I mean, you have to understand what's going on here. We, we kind of get the idea of this courtroom setting, but the response of the Jewish leadership isn't any kind of court proceeding. It's a lynch mob. They had no intention of hearing his evidence, which is... The process that is written in their laws, these people are so concerned about the laws, but yet they don't follow them at all. 
they had this mob kind of ruling. And what was done was just done out of this raw anger. They, they ground their teeth. They stopped up their ears. They didn't want to hear what he was saying because it was true. They rushed at him. They threw him out of the city and they killed him. I mean, have you ever had one of those moments? I think we've all had these moments where you thought you were right and you even fought for that idea that you were right. You were arguing maybe and you, you knew you were right, but then all of a sudden you hear something, that a point that's brought out that shows you all of a sudden very clearly that you were wrong. You have a decision to make right at that point, do you not? You can say, you know what, you're right. I'm sorry. Or you can dig your feet in all the more and fight all the more. Start twisting your original words to create this whole new narrative to make it look like you're, you're right again. One is a picture of humility. The other is a picture of a, a picture of a modern day politician. Of course, the latter or the, the former, the picture of humility is Stephen. The latter is what happens to Stephen. The Jewish leadership hear that they're wrong. They know it. How do we know they know it? Paul tells us that everyone knows it. And so what do they do? They destroy the witness as if that's going to change the truth that the witness was actually saying. We read through this book, we could all sense this tension building. We knew that it was going to break at some point. It's like a super long game of Jenga. Eventually the tower just has to fall. This was the point that it failed. The Christians weren't going to be able to get by much longer at their current pace of getting arrested and, and getting tried and telling, told them, no, go ahead and don't do it ever again. And then doing it again anyway. They weren't going to be able to go much longer. Blood had to be spilled in order to satiate the thirst of those who hated the church. And so with Stephen's death, you kind of have this instance where the dam has broken. The flood pours forth. Look at verses 1 through 3 of chapter 8. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women, committed them to prison. We get the extent of those persecutions here. It was a great persecution. Sometimes this is called the first great persecution of the church. Entering house after house, dragging off people to prison, executing them. At the center of it all was a man named Saul, who we'll get very acquainted with in the next month, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about him today. But again, what, are the, what motivates this kind of hate? It's not the believers. It's not Stephen. But it was who Stephen believed in. What did Jesus tell his disciples that the world would do because of him? They would hate him. Hate them. Why? Because they first hated him. What did we just read in Romans 1? They suppress the truth. Why? Because they hate the one who gives it. They suppress the truth about God. Even though it's known to them, they attempt to keep it hidden. It's just like an obstinate little toddler. They know that they're wrong, 
but yet they'll act as if they're the only person who's ever been right about anything. And they hate everyone and everything because of that. We've all seen it. We've all seen that, that little kid. We were that little kid. We were that person still sometimes today. Notice things get really, notice when things get really amped up even in this passage back in chapter 7. What does Stephen do? He sees this vision of Jesus and he says, Behold, I see the heavens open up and the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God. This is when they, when they cried out and they could, they just, couldn't handle it anymore. They, they stopped up their ears. Why did this infuriate them so much? Because they hated Jesus. What did Jesus regularly refer to himself as? The Son of Man, which alluded to an Old Testament prophecy in Daniel 7. They hated him because that prophecy suggests that the Son of Man is God incarnate. They hated him for it. They said he's sitting at the right hand of God. No one does that except the Son of God. They hated Jesus Jesus because he claimed to be the Son of God. So again, their hate caused them to hate the followers of Jesus. They hate God. And so then they hate everything about him, even his people. And so for us, in a world that is increasingly more and more anti-Christ, we have to understand that that in turn and by definition will become increasingly more and more anti-Christian. And so we have a choice to make. That brings us to the second point, our reaction to this injustice. Now at this point I want to focus on Stephen and the other believers in this passage, what's going on. He was being stoned. And if I read a little bit about stoning, um, just as in preparation, it was not a pleasant experience at all, as you can imagine. Still happens in some parts of the world. Uh, he was praying there. He first prayed that the Lord would receive his spirit. And then he prayed that the Lord would forgive his tormentors. Don't hold this sin against them. I'm sure that rings a bell for you, or at least it should. Turn with me to Luke chapter 23. Luke 23, a very full chapter. We'll be looking at verse 32 and a few verses forward. So Luke 23, starting at verse 32. This is Jesus at his crucifixion. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Skip ahead to 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So who's Stephen quoting here? He's quoting Jesus. He's quoting a Savior. Jesus' words as he died, which would have been very popular in the church. He's quoting him. We'll come back to that in a minute. Then what happened? 
Christians were scattered. Except the apostles, they remained in Jerusalem. But the believers were scattered. They got together, they buried Stephen, and there was a great lamentation there. And then we read about their counterattack on their persecutors, right? No, we don't. You can keep looking. It's not there. They don't form some terrorist group at this point and commit acts of violence against their tormentors, against the Jews. No, they ran and hid, which who can blame them? And they mourned their victims. So what can we gather from this? First, let's look at Stephen's response. Stephen was a man of uncommon wisdom, as demonstrated at the end of chapter 6 when he was dealing with the wise among the Jewish leadership. He was regularly thwarting them. He was able to defend his faith. He was able to, to defend himself in this trial that they had that they had created. But while he was being killed, he laid down his arms and he died. Now there are some that would say that the Christian should should behave this way, right? That we all should, when we're being persecuted, should just kind of let it happen. In the early church, there were many who longed for martyrdom and even sought it out. I don't think that's what we're being taught here. We're merely hearing about this one man's story, not a prescription on how we should take persecution. However, there are some things that we can definitely glean from that. Stephen wasn't being arrested for any kind of real crime. Christians should um, Christians who seek persecution like this are not being persecuted. They're being dumb. Protesting events by standing in the road and heckling the people with giant signs about how awful those people are isn't your cross to bear. And when you're arrested for that, you aren't standing up for Jesus. You're being an idiot. We aren't called to break the laws of the land unless they are against the laws of the Scriptures. The law of, the law of Stephen's land was don't preach Jesus. However, Christ's law was the opposite. So Peter, the apostles, Stephen, they did that thing. The laws of our land say, for instance, let's just use an example that we all think about, particularly when it comes to protesting. The laws of our land say that murdering unborn babies is okay. Christ's law says the opposite. However, that doesn't mean that now we should go blow up buildings and attack people. It means that we oppose abortion in every legal and moral way possible. Absolutely. But immorality shouldn't lead us to more immorality. Real persecution is when we face condemnation for doing right or for doing nothing. Facing condemnation for doing wrong is called justice. It's a good thing if you're being an idiot and you get condemned for that. Second, it wasn't about Stephen. It was about his Savior, whom he acknowledged. When persecution comes, our ability to handle ourselves in those situations should not take center stage. Well, I'm really good at handling myself when I'm persecuted. That's not at all what Stephen was. We, we're, Stephen was not lauding his own ability to take these guys to task. He was lauding Jesus. 
Jesus is the one who should take center stage. If we want to be a star, there are a lot easier ways to do that than facing persecution. When we are condemned for doing right, the right we are doing is only because of the righteousness of Christ. Again, what we, what we saw in Ephesians 2 from the reading this morning. Stephen knew that, which is why he gave him, Christ, the only righteous one, all the glory. Remember in Acts chapter 5, when, when Peter and the apostles were, were, being, were thrown in jail and they were being persecuted. Why did they rejoice after that? And they rejoiced because Peter was so good on the stand. No, they rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer in the name of Jesus. Not because they were going to somehow be seen as heroes. It wasn't about them at all. This can be one of the hardest things for us because deep down we love attention. Especially when we can get it for doing good things. We like that. However, the attention needs to go right back to Christ. Throughout history. The church has used persecution to see the name of Christ increase. And it's during those times of persecutions, many times, that the church has grown the most. The fastest growing churches in the world today are found in areas where Christians are being persecuted the hardest. I think there's a strong correlation there. Lastly, Stephen asked them to be forgiven. Why did he do this? Because like Jesus said, they didn't know what they were doing. They know not what they are doing. What did he mean by this? Goes back to Romans 1. Goes to Ephesians 2. They suppress the truth and they exchange it for a lie. But why do they do that? Because they're dead in their trespasses. They cannot know God. They cannot seek after Him. They cannot do good. Like Romans 3 tells us. Jesus knew that. Stephen knew that. So why did he forgive them? Many for Jesus. Why would you want to ask them to be forgiven? Why are you begging the Father to forgive them when you have hand, nails through your hands and feet and they're cursing you and they've got you strung up between two common criminals? Wouldn't it have been just easier for him to just crush them all? Couldn't God have just obliterated those Jewish leaders there in the court of Stephen and save Stephen? Why didn't he? And that's a question we can't answer. We don't know the mind of God. We know that his ways are not our ways. And we know that he had other plans for at least one of those murderers there, did he not? His name was Saul. He stood by and he approved of the execution. And he was one day, and one day he would be facing those same executioners because of the name of Jesus Christ. Consider the greatest injustice of all time. The one that we read, the crucifixion of Jesus. Why didn't he take himself down? His tormentors were even asking him that question, were they not? If you're, if you're the son of God, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Why didn't he? Why didn't he just call down legions of angels to wipe out the whole earth? definitely could have why didn't he just blink and uncreate all that he had created all that it had had existed he could just cause it to not exist with just a single thought he could stop thinking about everything and it would just go away 
Stephen was really powerless to stop his execution. He was thrown out of town by a mob. But Jesus was not powerless to stop it at all. He could have spoke a word and the whole thing would have ended. The father could have stopped it as well, right? But not only did he not stop it, but the prophet Isaiah tells us that the crucifixion was pleasing to the father. It was his divine will for that to happen. Why? So that his purposes could be accomplished. So that his will might happen. So that his people might be saved. And so that he might be glorified. So what then is the purpose in the persecution of the church? How should we react to it? The purpose is the glory of God. Absolutely. 100%. So that people might hear the name of Jesus and be saved. You can read countless stories about how the tormentors were eventually the ones who were saved, calling upon the name of Jesus. We have the greatest example of that here in this text, do we not? The Apostle Paul. We should react in such a way to bring those things about. The salvation of sinners and the glory of God. So in conclusion, thankfully, we are free to worship and proclaim in this country now, may not always be so. In many countries, believers are not free at all. Of course, we should be praying that that would change. More than that, we should pray that the believers in those places would have boldness to share Jesus anyway, because it's their calling. Also, let us consider our own calling. Have we, or how are we sharing the name of Jesus? How are we bringing glory to his name? Would we shrink back at any sign of difficulty? Let us be bold in the proclamation of the gospel so that people might hear the name of Jesus and be saved and that he might be glorified. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we read this story of this saint who is now with you, glorifying you, As we read again about your crucifixion, we see these great injustices, but yet we see you glorified all the more. We see people calling upon your name to be saved all the more. The thief there beside you was saved. Paul, the apostle, the tormentor of Stephen was saved. Lord, we pray that in our own day, that we would see many who curse your name come to be saved because you have used us to glorify your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.